0: Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. 2023 has been quite the year for direct democracy, 41 statewide ballot measures have been certified for ballots across eight states, which is the highest number since 2007 in an odd numbered year. Some of these have already been decided on, but many of the most buzzworthy will be voted on in the next few months. Here for our final ballot measure preview of the year is my boss, Ryan Byrne. What's up, Ryan?
1: Hey, Victoria. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well, getting excited for election night to wrap up all of these ballot measures and move on to 2024, which is even more exciting, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I feel like 2024 is already here in the world of ballot measures. Uh, for our listeners, that's because Victoria and our other ballot measure staff writers follow ballot measures in real time. And what do we have? Like 40, 40 something already for 2024? 49. 49 and probably 100 more to come.
0: Yep. Lots of work to be had. But this year we've got 41. I know we'd we'd both love to go through each one by one and discuss the pros and cons, maybe the arguments for both on both sides, but we don't have time for that. So we're just going to give our listeners a look at the trends and then some of the top measures that we're watching. So can you give our listeners a sneak peek at the report you're going to be producing on the top 10 ballot measures of the year? Is that correct?
1: Right. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at the top 10 ballot measures of the year. So like you said, there's 41 this year. Uh, that's at the state level. There's also hundreds of local ballot measures. So that's really hard to narrow down. We're just going to look at 10 in our report to determine that. We look at things like broader national debates, historic trends, other you know individual factors like campaign spending, which often correlates with how much attention a ballot measure is getting. I'll admit in that report, we we look a lot at two states, Maine and Ohio, but we also mentioned some measures in Texas, Colorado and at the local level.
0: And like I mentioned in the intro, 2023 has the most number of measures on the ballot in an odd numbered year since 2007. Is this a lot higher than we typically see or just an anomaly? I've only been covering ballot measures for four years, so you have a lot more historical knowledge about this.
1: Right. Well, you know, I've only been covering ballot measures for a decade and they've been kind of happening for, oh gosh, 110 years or so, the, the initiative process in the United States. So uh, and we're just, we're going to look at just some of the more recent numbers. So yeah, from 2009 to 2021, there have been an average of 33 statewide ballot measures on an odd numbered year ballot. So when I say odd numbered year, obviously I'm referring to 2023, you know, 2021. 2019 so on and so forth even numbered years have a lot more ballot measures that's because that's when the general election is right like midterms and presidential elections states tend to have laws that require um ballot measures to appear on those ballots rather than odd-numbered years but some states let them appear on odd-numbered year ballots so we still have some uh, and other states like texas it's they primarily only happen in odd-numbered years so you know last election voters decided 39 which also surpassed the average but was two less than this year so I don't really think we can say if there's a trend yet. This is kind of the first year that is well above the average for the past decade. There are certain states driving that increase, Maine, Ohio, and Texas. So for now I'm going to call this a one-off. We'll see how it plays out in future years. If anything, if you know, if you want to take a more longitudinal approach to decades, Uh, There's been a downward trend for quite some time, and perhaps this year's numbers are just a return to that pre-2010 level. So we'll have to see if it lasts.
0: And before we dig into the ballot measures specifically, I found it pretty interesting that there were six citizen-initiated ballot measures on the ballot this year, which is more than the average. It's the most since 2011, where we had twice as many. So what's behind the drop-off in that number of the initiatives on the ballot in odd-numbered years?
1: Right. So it's actually pretty interesting. We saw the number of initiatives decline after 2011, in part due to legal changes in California and Mississippi. Now, we've kind of seen initiatives drop overall, so I don't necessarily want to assume that it's just due to these legal changes, but this may explain a lot of the variation in some of the states, especially California and Mississippi, where there used to be odd year ballot measures. So We want to go back all the way to 2011. A bill was passed in California to require initiatives. So those are the citizen-initiated ones where people go out and collect signatures. They must appear on a general election ballot. So again, even-numbered years, even-numbered November specifically. So there's still a ton of activity in California, but initiatives cannot appear on odd-year ballots. So if California can only happen during even-numbered years... Obviously, we're going to see a decline because there's so much activity in California. And the other state where there's been quite a shift is Mississippi. So Mississippi never really had a ton of initiatives, but you did see them during odd numbered years every now and then. So in Mississippi, the initiative process has been inactive since 2020 when the state Supreme Court found that the signature distribution requirement, which is based on five congressional districts, exceeded the actual number of congressional districts, which is you know currently four. Uh, So you can't collect more signatures than uh, can actually be collected, right? So they're saying collect signatures from five districts while there's only four. So the Supreme Court said, well, technically, you can't actually meet the requirement then. So the initiative process is inactive. You know, legislators, some of them are more excited than others about reviving the process. So there have been several proposals to revive it, but none have been successful so far.
0: Got it. It's all that stuff is really interesting. And that's on top of some of the changes that also happened in Washington this year. Our report found that since 2013, 17% of an odd numbered year's ballot measures were non-binding advisory questions in Washington, uh, the state, not the capital of our nation. But this year there is zero. So what led to the decline?
1: Right. So this is interesting, right? Because we still have above average number of ballot measures this year, despite this pretty big change that would have made the numbers decrease overall. So earlier this year, the Washington state legislature passed a bill repealing provisions of a uh, voter approved ballot initiative from 2007 that required non-binding questions on tax increases. So whenever there was a tax increase or like a tax exemption or anything that really increased tax revenue, voters had to decide a non-binding question whether they liked the tax or didn't like the tax. It was non-binding, didn't really have any particular effect. But, you know, there's no longer mandatory advisory votes on tax increases in Washington. This change was supported in the state legislature by nearly every Democrat. I believe there are one or two who, who voted against it. And likewise, it was opposed by nearly every Republican, it was signed by the governor as well, who is a Democrat. Uh, so there can still be other measures on the ballot in Washington during odd-numbered years, but this year there are none. So despite that decrease, we still have high number
0: overall. I'm sure our fellow staff writer Jackie, who covers Washington, is a little grateful she doesn't have as much work in odd-numbered years considering the Washington law. But let's take a look at some of the the ballot measures that are on the ballot this year. And we're going to start with Texas, my home state. But for a good reason. This year, we are going to be voting on the most changes to the Texas Constitution since 2007. There will be 14 constitutional amendments. So would you mind highlighting a few of them for us?
1: I'm going to highlight three that stand out to me first let's start with number one the first one on the ballot texas proposition one it would establish a state constitutional right to farming ranching timber production horticulture and wildlife management so we've seen amendments like this before particularly in the 2010s voters approved them in north dakota and missouri they were known as rate to farm amendments then in 2016 voters in you know neighboring oklahoma rejected a right to farm constitutional amendment so after that, as is often the case with ballot measures, the trends really are influenced by whether voters approve or reject things. After that, it kind of fell off. I think we heard some rumblings about rate to farm amendments, but none of them made the ballot uh, until this year with Texas Proposition 1. I'm going to jump to Texas Proposition 3, which would prohibit the legislature from enacting a wealth or net worth tax in the future. So there's no wealth tax in Texas. So there's no immediate practical effect from the constitutional amendment. But the amendment would have the effect of never allowing a wealth tax, at least not without voters approving the change, right? Because all constitutional amendments require voter approval. If the legislature 20 years from now wants to introduce a wealth tax, well, they're gonna need to change the constitution first, which will require voter approval again. And then Proposition 14, jump into the end there. This one seems to be getting a lot of attention. It's a bit more Texas specific. Proposition 14 would create the Centennial Parks Conservation Fund, which is a trust fund for the state park system in Texas. So you can imagine over time, the trust fund would provide a lot more dedicated funding and increased funding for state parks in Texas. Uh, So, Victoria, do you have any any notable ones that you would want to mention that I didn't bring up as our Texas ballot measure expert?
0: Yeah, I think, too, that voters may be most interested in are Proposition 4, which increases the homestead tax exemption from 40000 to to 100000 and then at the same time, it has implementing legislation that would increase state education funding, but they had to uh, exclude that from the constitutional appropriations limit. I think voters will be very interested in that one. And as well as Proposition 7, which would create the Texas Energy Fund, this amendment is... Sort of a response to winter storm Yuri, which happened a few years ago when Texas saw a lot of, well, had to go through rolling blackouts because of a winter storm that knocked off a lot, a lot of its power generation. So the fund is meant to help modernize electric generation facilities. So two other ones that may be noteworthy.
1: See, it's it's great to have you uh, give us a little bit more informational Texas. As a, as a Texan, it's pretty obvious why the property tax exemption increase may be of interest to, to homeowners <laughs>
0: there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially as Texas sees you know the rise in population and rise in home values. Let's move on to Maine, which like you said, has a lot of ballot measures on the ballot in 2023. There are Eight, which is the most in an odd year since 1999. That includes four citizen-initiated statutes and four constitutional amendments. At least three of the initiatives relate to recent or current debates about electric utilities and transmission corridors in the state. So how are they connected? What's the backstory there?
1: Whew, yeah, energy conflict. So this is really fascinating, at least for me. I think other people will find it fascinating too. Uh, so let's dive right in. So Let's talk about question three and question one in that order. So question three, we'll start with first. So question three would replace investor-owned transmission and distribution utilities with a new quasi-public company with an elected board called the Pine Tree Power Company. So one of those investor-owned companies that would be replaced by Pine Tree is Central Main Power, you know, locally referred to as CMP. So CMP's parent company, is actually funding the campaign for Question 1, another initiative. So that's that's an interesting connection between 1 and 3. But Question 1 would require voter approval for certain entities like Pine Tree Power Company to um, incur debt that exceeds $1 billion. So Question 1 would create another step for the Pine Tree Power Company to become a reality. That's assuming that voters approve Question 1 and Question 3. Uh, you know, it may very much be the case that they approve three and not one, or approve one and not three, or maybe they'll just reject both. So then there's question two, which would prohibit foreign governments as well as entities or companies with partial foreign government ownership from making expenditures in ballot measure elections. All right, so when I describe that one, it might not be very clear how that relates to an energy debate. There's some relevant back history here. So in 2021, uh, the issue of foreign spending in ballot measure campaigns came up a lot with an initiative to prohibit the construction of an electric corridor line that would run from Canada through Maine to Massachusetts. And there, the company Hydro-Quebec, which is a government-owned enterprise of Quebec, spent nearly $20 million to oppose that initiative. So really, three out of the four ballot initiatives that we see this year in Maine all kind of relate in some way to these energy conflicts that have been going on for a few years there.
0: Yeah, it's all really interesting. Let's turn our attention to Ohio, which also has some pretty buzzworthy or noteworthy ballot measures on their ballot, including two initiatives addressing two prominent issues in our country, abortion and marijuana. So first up, Ohio issue one, it's a citizen initiated constitutional amendment that would establish a state constitutional right to, quote, make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, end quote, including decisions about abortion, contraception and other reproductive matters.
1: Yeah, so this is the only abortion-related ballot measure in 2023. So there's a lot of eyes on it, a lot of attention, and a lot of money. So Ohio, if people recall, in 2022, we actually had three states vote on state constitutional amendments to establish a state right to abortion. Uh, you know, obviously, post-Dobbs, there, there is no federal right. So states are deciding on these state constitutional amendments. So Ohio is a bit different than the others. In, in 2022, California, Michigan, and Vermont voted on these amendments. Um, you know, California and Vermont are, are seen as you know typically more liberal or progressive states based on their historic voting patterns. Both California and Vermont also had state laws on the books that legalized abortion. So constitutional rights were an additional layer of protection, but had no immediate practical effect in California or Vermont. Now Michigan was much more similar to Ohio, I think. But Michigan, in terms of the political context, has been a bit more of a swing state in recent years, you know, voting for Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020, electing Governor Whitmer in 2018, Democrats gaining control of the legislature in 2020, versus Ohio, which perhaps used to be a bit more swingy uh, a decade ago, but voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. There haven't really been any shifts in trifecta status. Uh, Republicans have controlled the governor's office and legislature since 2011. So the political context around Ohio is different than the other states. Back in August, there was also an attempt to require a 60% vote for constitutional amendments, which would have applied to this amendment in November, but voters ultimately rejected that proposed change. So just a simple majority vote will be required in November on this ballot measure. So also, unlike the other states, if voters approve this constitutional amendment, it would likely preempt some laws passed in Ohio. A law was passed to ban abortion after approximately six weeks of pregnancy. I believe that law is going through some litigation anyway, but it it was passed. So this ballot measure would likely preempt that law. And of course, due to that political context I just outlined, I think if this passes, it very much could galvanize campaigns for similar initiatives in other states.
0: Very interesting. And then also on the ballot, we have Ohio issue two. Which is a citizen initiated statute to legalize recreational marijuana, which would make Ohio the 24th state to do so. Does it look like that'll actually end up being the case?
1: Yeah, good question. So, Ohio, Ohio, abortion and marijuana, it's, it's definitely going to be a very, um, a very fun ballot this November. So, yeah, so 13 of the 24 states that legalized marijuana did so through a ballot measure, which gives us, you know, some data to work with here. So measures to legalize marijuana have actually lost at a higher rate in states that have voted for Republican presidential candidates in the past three elections, uh, you know, compared to ones that voted for Democratic presidential candidates or had mixed votes. Again, like like Michigan, right? Mixed votes. Those states that voted for Republicans, like Ohio, actually approved the initiatives to legalize marijuana only 44% of the time. In the other states, it was 85%. So, you know, nearly, nearly half that amount. That said, uh, you know, recent polling for the initiative for this particular initiative has indicated that a majority supports marijuana legalization in Ohio. But, you know, polling can be difficult for ballot measures, perhaps even more difficult than candidate elections. But that that would probably be a whole nother podcast in and of itself.
0: Yes, for sure. How about just other ballot measures you're keeping an eye on this November or December? Because there are some.
1: (laughs) There are some in December, right? Louisiana actually doesn't vote on any in November. They vote on some uh, in October, and then after our typical general election. Looking across the country, this is another one, perhaps perhaps more state-specific, maybe not as interesting to a broader national audience, but I think if you're into Colorado, you definitely should pay attention to Colorado Proposition HH. It's related to what's called TBER, or Colorado's Taxpayer Bill of Rights. So Prop HH would reduce property taxes in Colorado, but it would allow the state to retain and spend revenues- uh, that would otherwise be required to refund under Tabor. So it's kind of a way to uh, reduce property taxes without necessarily um, affecting state revenue. So that's something that voters will have to consider there. So how about you, Victoria? I already quizzed you once with with Texas, but is there anything else you're watching? How about local ballot measures? Is there anything at the local level that you think our readers and uh, listeners should pay attention to?
0: Yeah. So apart from our statewide coverage, we're covering a few notable local ballot measures on top of our regular local coverage, um, including ranked choice voting, which I think... Is very interesting for a lot of our readers and listeners. there'll be three cities in Michigan voting on whether to adopt ranked choice voting. They are East Lansing, Kalamazoo, and Royal Oak. And then over in Minnesota, Minnetonka is voting to repeal RCV. So I think it'll be interesting to see the various outcomes on those different proposals. And this continues a trend we've seen in local RCV measures, which has been ongoing since 2002. This decade has seen most RCV measures since 2002. And I actually did just publish an article on the history of RCV local ballot measures, if our readers want to check it out. And in that analysis, we found that 80% of the measures proposing to adopt RCV were approved, whereas 50% of the measures proposing to repeal it were approved. So that's one topic that I'll be watching this November. That concludes our wrap up of 2023 ballot measures. Who says odd numbered years can't be fun, right?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. In politics, that often seems like the case, but in the world of ballot measures, we still have plenty of fun during an odd numbered year.
0: Exactly. Well, thanks for coming on and breaking it down with me.
1: Yeah, anytime. Thank you, Victoria.
0: And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening.